Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye. And Mayu cannot be with us today. He is working on a last minute file. That is the life of a mortgage agent. So if you guys hate me and hate my voice, maybe you just skip right ahead into the podcast because you're just going to have to deal with me during this preamble. And if you guys do like me, then yeah, stay tuned. You'll enjoy this. Anyway, some updates on my life. On the wholesaling side, as most of you guys probably know, I wholesale real estate. We are finding that things are picking up both on the buyer side of things and also on the seller side of things. So we're getting a lot more traffic onto our website, a lot more sellers that are filling out forms. In fact, this week alone, we got, I think it was three deals under contract and a couple more leads. So it seems like sellers are actually coming out of the woodworks and uh, giving a call to some cash buyers now. I wonder how this translates into the MLS because what has been holding prices pretty steady so far is is that there's still demand for real estate, but also listings are are at a record low. And and as a result, prices are holding up quite strong and have even recovered a little bit in January and February this year. Would be interesting to see how the spring market plays out as I suspect there to be a lot more inventory coming in the pipeline. Anyways, it's good news for us as wholesalers. We have a little bit more inventory. We have buyers who are slowly being more interested into the market again. So it's good to see wholesaling back. Uh, Not busy, but busier than it was before. And on the appraisal side, investing side of things, as you guys probably know, I was getting a couple of projects appraised. So I bought four properties in, well, actually five properties, I'd say, over the past four to five months now. Um, One of the properties, we ended up selling it and we sold it at a profit after we closed on it. Another property, we got it refinanced and it was a full burr plus 80, around $80,000, a little less than $80,000 out of the project. But we didn't decide to take the 80 grand out because we didn't want to over leverage and extend ourselves too thin. We wanted to maintain some sort of cash flow into the property as well. So we're not getting greedy with pulling equity out. So that was good as we got that project wrapped up in three months. Now, the other couple of projects, we're going through the refinance stage right now, and we are definitely jumping into some hurdles. Well, let's talk about the five units specifically, because I don't have time to chat about all my problems. Five unit property we purchased to turn around all of the units and were able to increase rent rolls by 252% overall in the project. And so we're getting it refinanced. Now, the issue is, is that RBC who's the bank who lent on it, the appraisal came back pretty shoddy. They used comparables mostly and they commented against a property that really had a lot of issues with it because there's no fiveplexes that sold in Windsor of recent memory or recent times. And so they used the only fiveplex that sold in bad area, under market rent, so had some problems, needed some renovations. And they commented against that, which obviously was an issue for fiveplex. They didn't really look at the income and expenses too much. Now, I'm thinking about taking it to the credit union side, but the issue I ran on the credit union side, we spoke to like three or four different credit unions, is is obviously how the loan is based off of debt service coverage ratios, which is directly correlated to the income and expenses of your property. And I'm qualifying at close to 7%. So 
even though the property would appraise for 1.1 or $1.2 million, I'm only able to take out 60 to 64% loans to value in a lot of cases, depending on which credit union. Desjardins, I found, was the most flexible all in all. I'm not a commercial mortgage agent or commercial mortgage broker, so keep that in mind. This is just based off of my due diligence and my phone calls, but my next step is to connect with a commercial mortgage agent, very likely. Anyways, back to the topic. Desjardins would qualify on 1.15 DSCR and 6.5% rates. Their expense assumptions were the most lenient because that's another thing, right? Like when you're dealing with credit unions, they may have different assumptions on how to calculate their expenses. And the more aggressive the assumptions are, aka the higher the expenses are, the lower the NOI will be. And ultimately, the lower the loan to value you'll get as an investor. So Desjardins had the most flexible assumptions I found. And as a result of that, I was able to get the highest loan. It would have probably been around 63% loan to value. We, tr- we are trying to find a lender that would close the gap in loan to value because we're looking for 75% or, or 70% loan to value who would close the gap based on personal income because my partner has really, really strong income to qualify. It's just that the debt service coverage ratio is killing us on 25-year amortization, on high rates, and based on the expenses that these credit unions are assuming. Worst comes to worst, we'll go to CMHC for the multifamily product. I don't want to do that right away because I don't want to pay lender points and have that tagged in and that's going to accumulate to a lot of interest over the life of the loan. Also, I don't want to over leverage by any means. I'm happy with 70 to 75% loan to value at that. So, I mean, CMHC is is our, is our, I would say like not worst case, but that would be our fallback plan if we're not able to get another lender that qualify in DSCR plus personal income. Anyways, that's what's going on in my life at the moment. Now you're probably sick of hearing it. So let's jump in today's podcast. Today we have Bava Srinivasan, and he is an investor based in Montreal who started off as single family homes and student rentals in Montreal, then started scaling towards New Brunswick. And he's actually in the multifamily game now. So he's doing some pretty cool projects, conversions of multifamily buildings that are well over 30 units and then converting it to 40 plus units. He's on a 50-unit project that he's raising capital for right now. But he's also a relatively new investor as well. He's got started, I want to say, about three to four years ago. And it just goes to show what the power of positive thinking, mindset, surrounding yourself with the right people will take you in real estate investing. Baba is all about positive mindset and a growth mindset, continuing to operate with an open mind. And it's something that we can all take away from, because even for myself as an investor, I do get stuck in my head from time to time. So this was definitely a breath of fresh air. I know that you guys will definitely enjoy this podcast episode, especially seeing the growth that Baba did. And before we jump into it, make sure to leave us a five-star review. We have a thousand plus downloads in every podcast episode, but yet we have less than a hundred reviews on Spotify. And I think it was like less than 130 reviews on Apple. I would really appreciate the support. It keeps us motivated. It keeps us going. It shows us that you're actually engaging and enjoying with our content. And best of all, it only takes you less than five seconds. So go ahead and smash that five-star review button. Anything below five-star, don't leave us the review. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, we're going to jump into this podcast today. I hope you guys enjoy. Take care, all. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Baba Srinivasan. Baba, how's it going, brother? Hey, very blessed, bro. Very blessed. I'm so grateful to be here. This is almost a... Dream come true. I don't know whether you guys know this. I've been following you guys for a very, very long time. I'm one of the uh, the first followers, I would say, 
from Austin, <laughs> you and Mayu, I've been following you on Instagram journey and uh, I see all your posts when you're driving, you say, hey, please call me and try it a couple of times, right? But uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, <laughs> such a blessing to be here. Grateful to talk to you guys today. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate all the support, man. For a guest that might not know yourself uh, too well, myself included, like what's your background? Like how'd you get into this, uh, the world of investing? How'd you get started? Because I know you're doing some pretty big projects right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm based out of Montreal, but I originally came from India back in 2007 for school. I came in college in uh, Sudbury and then worked in Toronto for a year. Then did my undergrad in Hibbert University in Sydney, Nova Scotia. Yes, Sydney in Nova Scotia. A lot of people think if you say Sydney, it's Australia, right? But there is Sydney in uh, Nova Scotia as well. So you just, you just got to say Nova Scotia because if you were to say <laughs> if someone says London, I think ah, oh, it's like not London, Ontario. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 funny. Like a lot of people doesn't know that, but it's it's okay. I was in Halifax for eight years, and then now based out of Montreal. Started with uh, single family homes. It was it was basically me and my wife. We were living in downtown in a condo. We were renting it as everybody just wanted to get a first family home. So we got one in South Shore, which is south part of Montreal. It's close to the bridge. The reason why we started investing there is because of the new electric train. So Montreal has they're building this new electric train that connects every point of the city. So we were betting on that. So before they were starting to build that, we just went and got the single family home. Just to give a little history about why single family home and why that area was. So me and my wife, she's from a bigger city in India. So we decided to buy the home. We were planning to go move in two weeks from that point. I think it was 2019. And then we went and saw it during the day. And then just two weeks before closing, we went for a drive in the evening. We were still living in downtown. My wife looked at me and she said, there was nobody walking here. I don't see any light. I don't think so. We'll be living in a suburb. Right. So then... I was like, I think uh, Austin could relate it. I think we were just talking about it two weeks ago. So basically, I said, okay, there's a solution for everything. So the same night, I went and put it on ad on Facebook Marketplace, KGG, at the local centrist. I was able to rent it out before we closed it. Right from that moment, I think the first two months, we were cash flowing 400 bucks on the very first property. And that's how the bug started. Then I realized, okay, hey, there is something here where you know we put 20% down on the first property, which we didn't know. We could have put 5%, but I always believe that everything happens for a reason. So that became as a rental property. And then I started networking in the local Montreal groups. And then I went to different meetup groups. And then I started telling that I wanted the second single family home in the same neighborhood because of the train. The train is sold, as you know, in Montreal, we do construction. That's what we do. We always do construction, right? So the train was supposed to be running two years ago. It's still not running yet. Right? That's everywhere, so, man. That's, that's every project, <laughs> every government expenditure. Yeah. So <laughs> good thing for us as an investor, because you're trying to build a portfolio there. So that's how we both started, right? So, and then we bought single families with the network that we got connected and we were able to get introduced by people that who are investors based realtors. So the second and the third property that we got was pretty much just off market. We didn't even see the property. It was already cash flowing just because of the people that you know. So that became a very a niche for me to know that that's a golden nugget where you need to know the network and you need to know the right network. So that's how this all started. So this is like your first three properties. And if we dissect that a little bit. Yeah. So the first one, I'm just going to assume here that it's just aggressively saving the 20% down. Yeah. Did you see a sudden like growth in the equity position there? Like how did you go about buying property number two and number three? Did you just have high savings or was it like, was there something else created behind it? 
No, the first one, when we got, uh, we were able to use the first home buyer strategy where we right. can take money out of our uh, RSP and then use it. Right. The second and the third was, funny enough, the second property was a townhouse and we were able to get it for 186000 right? This was even like during the high market and it was 20 minutes from downtown. That's how I started realizing about the power of networking and the power of people that you are in contact with. So the first property, we, we bought it in under my name. And then mm-hmm. the second property we bought under, since we put it 20%, the second I was able to get for 5%. And then the third property we were able to get for 5% because it was under my wife's name. I gotcha. Okay. We were trying to use a system where you know the people and they were giving more ideas where this is how you can invest and use your strategy accordingly. Yeah. This is before even pulling my first refi. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So where do you go from there? You've got the three single families. Yeah, three single families. And then right after that, I was able to get a few more within the city because of the off market. And then since I listened to your podcast where I, I saw Jeff Ordis, Jefferson Ordis, and then a few mm-hmm. others where I always listen to from podcast. And he talked about investing in New Brunswick, right? Since I knew New Brunswick, I lived in Nova Scotia. I was always traveling, but I never see as an investor mindset. So mm-hmm. there, it was a long distance investing. So I started investing in student rentals. So rooming houses, using the same strategy of finding realtor who's uh, investor-based and then finding property managers who was specialized in rooming house. So I uh, did that, I bought a triplex, but we are renting as a room. So each room, so it's uh, basically 11 rooms. That it's close to uh, University of Moncton, it's walkable distance. And I was able to cash flow around uh, two grand with the existing interest rate and whatnot. Right now it's right. a little low, but before back yeah. then it was, it was basically, uh, that was the strategy behind it. So that kind of unlocked my mindset of long distance investing. Cause I was always afraid of, Hey, wow, how do I do it? And I, I took this as a trial and error method. Yeah. And then during the whole process, I learned a lot. How much did you buy that triplex for? Like when was it? Uh, $309,000 for a triplex. This 2021? was in 2021. Yes. So with these properties that you're buying, are you doing work on them? Or are they pretty much like turnkey solutions? You're renting it out as is? The single families are just uh, basic touch-ups. Mm-hmm. The max I put it is so far is 5 to 7K on each property. Nice. Okay. So like not much, not much work needed. at all. That's why it's so different when you compare the market between Montreal and uh, uh-huh. Toronto or in Halifax, right? Even secondary market. So I try to find uh, single family homes near a school. So all my properties that I have is, is beside a school. So I wanted somebody who was beside the school with a family with two kids. So they're going to be there long term. Mm-hmm. And just the basic rental, paint, whatever that needs to be fixed ASAP. And then pretty much turnkey property that I look at. Gotcha. Yeah. So you can get the cash flow right away. That makes a lot of sense. Now with the uh, student rentals that you're managing long distance, how are you going about that? Because as you probably know, with student rentals, they turn over typically every year, every eight months, depending on what your strategy is, depending on what you put in your lease. And I assume, is it safe for me to assume you have a property manager or are you doing? 100%. Okay, no, that's no, interesting. Property manager. I can, I can like, I mean, long distance is all about the five teams, right? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So property manager was the key, he's the key player on this. And uh, right before that, I set a rules like, you know, do not call me if it's less than 200 bucks, take your uh-huh. own call. He is specialized in student rental because you got to watch out where, you know, there are people out there, property managers that do manage multifamily, that do manage uh, single family homes, multiplexes. And there are certain people, you need a certain type of skill set to manage uh, student rentals and rooming yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So basically, like anybody, if you're trying to invest in different cities, pick a city, join different groups, and then call different property managers. Before they interview you, you interview them. Mm-hmm. right? And then you have a few questions about how do you manage? What are the portfolio do you have? How many units do you manage? What is your percentage? Because you got to watch out every time they go to a property, some people do charge, right? Mm-hmm. Every time they do a visit, because if they don't live within the city, then that's an inconvenience for them. And that's an inconvenience for you too. So they charge based on that, right? Mm-hmm. When I talked to him, he was only specialized in uh, student rentals. So which was, which gave me a lot of easy way to go ahead because he was already registered in a lot of universities and community colleges. So he gave the names to them. So anytime a new student comes and looking for a house, they call him. So So, he's had that network. He has the the lead quality to continually fill these student rentals. What kind of where I was going with that question is, is that Mayu and I, we have student rentals in Windsor and there are occasions where it's profitable. But one thing we've been struggling with, and I want to hear your thoughts on it is, is that student turnaround, right? Like in a year they leave and then you know how it goes. I assume that it's mostly international students uh, around there. And I mean, sometimes they'll leave a mess, right? And that's what we've been noticing with our rentals too. And the turnaround may cost another four or $5,000 every year that they end up leaving. And that's eroding our, our cash flow pretty significantly. Just one student right now, we got an email, there's bed bugs. And we're like, bed bugs just don't come into a property. Someone has had to bought the property in there, right? How are you managing dealing with these things? Are you having these similar sort of issues? And if so, I mean, share your thoughts on how you deal with these problems. Yeah, 100%. I think mostly, I think I don't hear anything from my property manager, unless it's a very big issue. Like even it's a big issue, he's a contractor himself. So he manages the contractor and he has his own team. So I think Mm -hmm. that's the key that I would say I was aligned or lucky, you can call whichever, right? But I have a few properties in Nova Scotia, like where even in um, you know Quebec here, uh, when you talk to different property managers, they deal differently based on what their view about each property is, right? Yeah. This one, he never like till today, I never got a call saying that, hey, this tenant is doing stuff and whatnot. Since he managed those before, so he was trying and he manages other properties where he knows this is a rent that I'm going to get. So he will move the people who couldn't pay the rent in, in my property to another property that he knows that he manages. So it's, it's an easy turnaround. So he kind of has his own network. So mm-hmm. if somebody's having a trouble or somebody's uh, and, and the rules helps too in New Brunswick, you can send a notice, send them out in the same month. You can't do yeah. that in Ontario, right? So there's a big difference there as well, right? And um, a lot of people we see are international students and then employees as well who would like to, you know, just not take care of anything because everything is included there and we even have parking. So they just come in, rent a room for 600 to 700 bucks, and then they're happy. They don't even want to care about any of those. So Mm -hmm. the one thing I'll just quickly add in there, Austin, I think, I think for some reason, Windsor's like international students are like the most educated, like international students when it comes regards to like what they can get away with and like what they have to actually pay for and the shit like that kind of pisses me off, but it is what it is. I also think in New Brunswick, I think the minimum wage is around like $12, right? If I'm mistaken, compared to our like $15 an hour. So like naturally we're paying about 30% more for labor if you extrapolate that out across various professions. So our turnover costs are a little bit higher. But also what's kind of crazy is New Brunswick property managers have really mastered the spend as little as possible. You don't need to have too many conversations with them just because their asset values have been like very low for an extremely long period of time where they have to get away with spend $1,000, $2,000 to like turnover unit. There's no such thing as spent 20 grand to turn over anything. Like it's just not an option out there, right? So 
kind of interesting, but so you had that triplex in New Brunswick and now I know you're looking at bigger stuff now. So I almost want to jump ahead, but without doing that, where did you go from there? <laughs> so right after that, I think I, so we were at captured at a point. So it was just me and my wife as an any full-time employee. You can only reach to a certain portfolio that you can go. And then I was kind of like looking into different programs to join. And then as again, I was, I was always big into podcast. So I was listening to Ortis, Jeff Ortis again. He was talking about multifamily in Canada. So that's how I came to knew about. Does Jeff know how big of an impact you've had on it? <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. I'm very thankful every time. Like I, I go through a Tiffany, I, I message him, and that's how I do it too. So yeah, yeah. same with your uh, people that you bring in, right? Every time I listen to somebody and I have an impact, I message him directly on Instagram. That's true. So, yeah, sorry, so, so sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but no, yeah. no, no, it's all good. So and then. Um, yeah, he was talking about he's in a multifamily who specialized only in multifamily program. And that's how I came to know about Alfonso, Alfonso Quadra from Bell Genius. And then once I joined the program, I think it's it's a complete mindset shift change about why multifamily and why invest in. And I use this strategy because not a lot of people do invest in North Scotia. Since I was already there, I knew the market. I was there. It's knowing your customer too, because the tenants that you deal with in North Scotia is different in New Brunswick and in Quebec, right? Because there it's super slow. It's very laid back. The tenants are laid back. And the contractors are laid back. So you have to have patience, right? So it's just dealing with us as you, Maya, you were talking about New Brunswick where people don't talk a lot. And in North Scotia, they talk a lot, but it's just very laid back, right? I have a few properties where I have Toronto investors. They're like, hey, like, why are they picking up the call? Why are they responding email? Like, that's how it is, right? It's just, you just need to know the market. You just need to know the customers, right? That's how I got into multifamily. You know, I'm in this program with like minded individuals where there's a trick. For everything, there's a learning and there's a network, obviously, and why multifamily as well. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking about transitioning into multifamily, what do you think were the biggest obstacles and hurdles in your way, either from a mindset perspective, financial perspective, networking perspective? What is it that without this group that you don't think you would have overcame? And then after that, we can get into some of the deals that you mentioned while we're chatting offline, like a 30 to 50 unit. Yeah, sure. So I think the biggest takeaway for me was the mindset. We all live in our own head with our own story and with our own past and the people around us, right? If our people, the, the people that you're surrounded by today doesn't do that stuff, it's always a wall fact for you because you're always having that block of, hey, what will happen? How can I do this? How can I even think big? The only thing free in life is thinking. You can think whatever you want. You can dream whatever you want. And now the matter of how do you implement it and who do you know that implements it? So that was the biggest difference that I had because all the people I was surrounded with, even here, I was in different groups. We were just talking about single family flips. So I was only surrounded by that kind of people and I was not able to get a, a tribe or people who were actually thinking that way. It's mm-hmm. not about thinking. It's all about people who actually did it and I'm actually seeing them and talking to them, right? Mm-hmm. The only difference is, is just the mindset that I had. Same thing with long distance investing. Even before I was listening to all this podcast, I'm like, hey, how am I going to do it? Like, you know, even here, if a tenant calls, I'm going to go. But what if it's the New Brunswick? How am I going to deal with this? It's just, you don't know what you don't know, right? That was my biggest takeaway. Even thinking big, like even having goals that is bigger than what do you expect? Just putting a number out there and then going towards it. You can take the strategy and use it anything in life, as you guys already know. Like even in um, health, I have a, a 
kilogram in mind, like this is what I wanted to rid use of. And then you just go with it. You have a number and then you go with the plan, right? So the only thing is I've been thinking about having abs for a very long time and I've done nothing about it, right? So I think part of the challenge is anyone can think about having or wanting a really big portfolio, right? But what did you do to like actually kind of take those next steps to finding the properties, right? Because I think that is still a big leap, right? Yeah. Like yeah. even when you're doing like a triplex, the inspection costs you like 500 bucks. It's like, cool, right? Yeah. Appraisal costs you another 500. You, you talk about like a 30 unit portfolio, your inspection's probably like, at least like 5,000, I'd imagine, right? Your appraisal is probably like 5,000 or so at least, right? So those are big checks to cut. Are you still going at it alone or did you form like a team or a partnership, right? Which I think starts to become a little bit more common once you get into the bigger stuff. Like how'd you go about it? 100%. So I think the deal that I'm currently working on, it was actually a deal that I was working last year and it fell through. And I feel the pain of what Mayu was talking about cutting big checks because I, I paid for inspection which was 6,500. And then I paid for appraisal, which was another 6,000, right? <laughs> and then, because yeah. this was a portfolio of 40 units. So it was seven buildings, it's 15 unit, nine oh, units, okay, okay. three duplex, three duplex and a single family. And this was through off-market. So how did I find off-market deals? So I was pretty much going to different groups within that province. And then I was telling them, hey, I'm an investor. I'm looking to buy multifamily properties in the area if you know anyone or if you are selling anyone just send me a dm and then we'll connect so that's how i got through building that network and then i joined different groups within that network to know that you wanted to invest in why you wanted to invest in in the area and the one thing i always learned is be sure about what you wanted you can't just go on hey i just want another property no just be very specific i'm looking for multifamily. okay what type of multifamily? 20 and above or a six plex or 30 plex or 50 plex so every time when they hear that number, people remember you. So that's how I learned from the Montreal's group where, you know, I was always telling this is what I wanted. And then people are thinking, okay, Baba needs a triplex. Okay, triplex, go to Baba. Like I can send it to him. We all know this, it's all sharing network. Everybody's trying to help each other. So mm-hmm. last year, you were right. The deal didn't work out. And that was such a learning curve. But the reason why I did not see that as a failure, at the beginning, I was seeing as a failure because the mindset was not there. Because I I was going from triplex single family home to bigger 40 units. The reason why you need to have a group, because you need to know what are the steps to get through it. Even though like it was was basically the reason why it didn't work through is I had the seller gave me two months to close. So I did everything. So we had it under contract January 20, January 15th. We're supposed to close March 5th. So I had all the details, but I was waiting for the credit union was asking for a phase two inspection. So I was asking for more time with my seller, but he did not want it to give me an extension. He said, I'll give you an extension, but you got to pay the expenses without even buying the property. So I was like, hey, just doesn't make sense. Like, why would, and these are, you know, in no Scotia, you have to know another one is, um, they, most of them are oil over there. Right. And then like, um, um, like oil furnaces or oil workers, oil, oil furnaces. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Most of the properties are oil furnaces. And this one specifically a 15 and nine unit. It was a conversion of a motel to a apartment building. So all the rents were included. So the expenses were high. So our value was to bring down the expenses and whatnot. Right. So yes, you do go through these stuff because it's all about, I'm, I'm trying to emphasize more on the mindset just before that everything was working for me. All the properties you were, doing, you were putting an offer, you got it, and then you were cash flowing. I had to go through this to know when things don't go right, how would you act? How would you go on with your life, right? Because that could take a big toll on you and you can't go 
move forward. That's the biggest lesson I learned, right? Because when you start a business, when I started looking this as a business instead of an investment project or a portfolio, then it completely changed the perspective. And then now the same property, I'm, I'm dealing with it just because of the relationship I built last year. So now we have it under contract and um, we actually have like 600K less than last year. And now like we're in the process of closing in March 4th, uh, May 4th. Everything is is an intact with that, right? But it's just Maybe. the biggest, biggest uh, mindset change for me. Give that story in between on how you got it for 600K less. I think we chatted about this uh, during our coffee, but I think it'd be good for the listeners to know not to give up on following up with leads. Absolutely. So during this whole time, I think, so that's another thing I learned too. So when you're actually dealing with the property, when you have to go for inspection, you have to go for appraisal. So the seller's property manager is giving their time to do the inspection and the appraisal. So that when you buy the property, you would be the owner. But what if you don't buy the property? Because they're giving their time as well. So these are the stuff that I did not know that you have to put in the cost when you actually put an offer. Right now, I put an offer. Like if things don't go through, then I'm not responsible to pay for the property manager. So these are the stuff that I didn't know when I was doing it when I was dealing with the multifamily before. Right, I paid for the property manager. I paid for his time. So that put me in a situation where I was able, like he was calling me every month to tell feedback about the property. Hey, like he didn't still sold. Few guys came in and saw, but they never able to look at it. And we had one property it fell through. So they had like two buyers trying to buy it and then it fell through. And then he was giving me leads on other off-market properties. So that's how I was able to build more relationship. And at the beginning, I was disappointed because I paid for uh, inspection, I paid for appraisal, and then I paid for his time. And then and then things didn't work. So I was like, okay, like what's going on? Then I paid for lawyer's time too, right? Because of the VTB, she had a VTB agreement. And then that's why you just have to, any investment you make on people, it's going to triple. Right. You don't look at us as a failure. Look at us as a learning experience. Right. That was my biggest takeaway through that. And just because of that, now me and my business partner, Rajan, we negotiated with the seller for almost a month and a half. And then he knew that we were the right candidate because he knew that whatever went through before did not go through. And a lot of people were scared about investing in secondary market. It's not everybody's cup of tea because you guys know you guys invest in secondary market. But Nova Scotia secondary market is completely different than Ontario secondary market, right? So that was one of the key takeaways. And then we wanted to just get it under contract and we were ready to negotiate and they were ready to negotiate because they were almost like, hey, it's been in the market for a year. I When I bought it, it was off market and then they put it back to the market. They didn't go through. Now it's back to off market, right? So that's why we were able to get it back under contract less in price. So I know you said it's a secondary market in Nova Scotia. What's the market? Maybe you don't want to publicly say it because it hasn't closed yet. I just realized that and the episode will go out in two weeks and I'd hate for you to lose this deal because it was. Um, <laughs> so just in case, like, tell us a little bit about the research that you did on the market. Because if it's a secondary market in Nova Scotia, just from what I've um, heard and seen, like it's a lot of like, like retirees. Like, yeah, I, I, I can talk about why secondary market. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Why East Coast, right? Number one is because of the lower purchase price. Multifamily Real estate in Nova Scotia is among the lowest in the country. And the average unit price within the areas we invest in only 100k per door and even lesser. And then the, we have the higher rents as well for the price you're paying per door. And then number three is the, the low vacancy rate. On average, in Nova Scotia, it's around 2 to 
But the areas that we invest in, it tends to be below 1%. And then why is that? Aren't these communities really like retiree communities? Like there's not too much of an economy there, or am I wrong? No, it's it's because of the Nova Scotia immigration program. So okay. the Nova Scotia immigration program, where even me myself, I got my PR through the Nova Scotia immigration program. Okay, that's interesting. That's why a lot of people move there because of the Nova Scotia immigration program where once you finish a degree, you just work for three months in any job and then you get a PR from residency. Now the rules are changed a little bit, but still comparatively easier than other provinces within the country, right? So that's one of the reasons why, why a lot of people move there. You see a lot of international yeah. students. Okay. I remember when we were chatting offline, you were saying that the population size was like two or 3,000. Yeah. But that wasn't the true population. And why don't we get into that? Because you obviously went to school there. You understand the market really well. Whereas someone like me, I would look at population as face value. Or I'd see the number on Wikipedia or whatever it is. And I'd just run with that data. What do you know that like the general public doesn't know about the population size of this particular city? Yeah, absolutely. So these ones, some of the, as, as you can go and check, even on Wikipedia and other places, it's not updated. Right. It's like last time you would see it's basically 2017 or 2018. Some of the ones are not updated. So me, like when I try to look on the places in Nova Scotia that I'm not comfortable with, I basically just go on the Google Maps and then see what are the main employers there. Right. And then try to see if they have Walmart or where is the closest Walmart. If they even have a Tim Hortons in that city. Some of the cities doesn't even have Tim Hortons. So mm. I don't invest in that cities, but at least there should be a basic importance. So, you know, there's enough people that the research that we need to do, they already did it. Add that to checking population hospitals and universities. Is there a Tim Hortons there? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> is it because these populations have like a transient like student population? Yeah. Like I know Waterloo was the same way where they would say they had like a 70,000 population, but it doesn't factor in like the 100,000 students that come in every year and leave. Yeah. Okay. That's a big difference. There is a big difference. There is student population and, and even seasonal population of employment. Because okay. since it's, it's Nova Scotia, there are a lot of farming, there are vineyards, there are a few other apple picking. There are a lot of stuff that is based on, I would say, weather-based, right? Seasonal. Mm -hmm. And then skiing and all those stuff where even the closest city people are okay to drive 30 minutes if they're trying to save $300 on rent. And these are all like, you know, the, the property that we're looking at, they're all one bedroom, two bedroom, right? So people... In, in our where we're investing, people actually go to work to the closest city, which is 20 minutes drive because you're yeah. saving another one. And we see, we get to notice that the closest city, you know, they don't have enough rental. That's why we were able to figure out that, okay, like 1% works here, right? Because of the vacancy rate. And we came to know about our project when we close this, we are planning to do a storage too, because you wouldn't believe that the storage waiting time is eight months. Like you would think, okay, who would use the storage there, right? So that's the thing, like we're trying to realize more when we do more research. And, um, you know, my business partner has properties in the same city that we're investing in. So which gives more leverage of knowing the city more because he's mm -hmm. already done the refi. He's already worked with the tenants, even turn around on the properties, right? You don't need to do a 100% renovation. Basically, he yeah. just does like 2K, 3K lipstick rentals and that's it. And you're able to rent it for high dollars. Mm -hmm. So can we break down the numbers on the deal a little bit? If you don't mind, like I'm curious. So 30 units, the 30, right? The 30 it's a 37, but we are converting to a 41. So gotcha. So how much? How much is 37 units in its as is? Like how much does that cost you guys? Right now we have it under contract for 1.6. Oh 
Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> was not expecting that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to say about like 3 million or so. Okay. And what's the cap rate on that 1.6? The cap rate on that would be 6.5. 6.5. And this is all residential, no commercial, right? Or is this the one with the motel? No, that's uh, that's the one in New Brunswick. That's the other one. Okay. So we'll get into that later on. And in terms of raising the capital for this deal, you're going from the smaller stuff and jumping into the bigger stuff. How is the raising capital sort of a journey been for you? And is there any advice on, on other people to raise capital for big projects like this? Yeah, absolutely. So last year I was able to, as, as I, I was just dealing with the same property, I was just dealing with myself and then I raised around 380K with just one investor. He was a Toronto investor. And that's why the group was able to help me to raise capital because it's basically you're in the same community where everybody's dealing with multifamily and you're having access to people who have that kind of cash, right? So my key takeaway on raising capital is you network as much as you can. And then even before having a property under contract, you have to network and show exactly what value you bring, right? Not just go and ask for money, but network in the perspective of how you can help them. That was always my perspective where I networked a lot. I was talking to Austin about it offline as well, where you try to go to different groups. And then it's basically, it's about two-way streets where you try to tell what you know about each places that you invest in, because a lot of people are not investing in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, right? So where you can share your knowledge and then see how you can help their journey. Whatever you're trying to do, every single person has a story to share. And every single person has something to learn from and something to give, right? So I was always in a mindset of how I can help somebody, like what I would do in their situation. Because when I started, I didn't have that person in my life. So so on the 1.6 million... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. This is, I was just really curious about this one asking before I forget. Yeah. On the 1.6 million, what type of financing are you guys getting? Like when you talk about credit unions, because it's, it's rural, right? Or not rural, but... Whatever. It's a secondary market. So what type of financing are you guys getting on that? And then what's the shortfall? Right. And then I'm curious, like, how do you then piece it out? Uh, Actually, what type of financing are you getting? (laughs) Sorry with that. So we got another, uh, we got a 600K VTB on it. Oh, so you got a 600K first position. First or second? First. First, eh? Okay. And then, so so really, are are you getting a second or are you guys trying to raise equity for the remainder or self-funding? Our plan is to go private, yeah. right? Go private and then close this private. And then after the first year, because we have a 600K VTB with 0% for one year. So the plan is to, we already have quotes. And then the plan is to turn over 22 tenants out of 37 and then add three more units to get more NOI, right? So basically there was a duplex. It was actually a fourplex before, but they convert to a duplex. And then we're going to convert it back to fourplex. So those are all easy steps. So we have a code with the project manager, which is our own 7K. And then there was a duplex. We're going to add another one, one unit for an extra 10K, right? For a triplex. And then on the 15 unit and the nine unit. So we are, since it's all like, we don't have an electric board since it's everything is included. So we're going to use okay. the Nova Scotia nominee program where they have for heat pumps and you can get a subsidy based on that. The, and what program? The what program? Uh, the Nova Scotia, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, okay. So there's some sort of like provincial... Regarding the heat pump. So you basically pay it and then they reimburse 30%. So 600K in first and then a second... A million dollar raise. Are you, are you doing a million dollar second or are you doing uh, no, a so second? No. So our plan is to just go completely private and then uh, okay. based on the appraisal, right? So appraisal should be in today. Okay. So we're hoping for 
2.6, 2.7, because we know the price per door in the area. And even my business partner has the same property in the same street, like a, a sixplex and a fourplex. And he did a refi. I mean, know what is the price per door. So with mm-hmm. that, we will go to 100% loan to value with the... So we basically did not need to raise any capital on this, right? Gotcha. To get a better understanding, when you're saying to convert these duplexes to a triplex, you said it was like 10K. Are yeah. there, how does it work there? You need to get like permits and do like some sort of legal conversion and it takes six, seven, eight months or is it pretty easy down there? No, it's pretty, it's pretty easy there, especially the one on the, the fourplex since it already has a fourplex four meters already. That's like a, like probably a two week turnaround. But the other one, it should be less than a month, right? So because some of these are basically like they took out a wall to combine two units, right? So I'm assuming you're just putting the wall back up and that's maybe it. a little bit of a kitchen or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just to go back on that, to convert a duplex to a triplex, does it have to be registered with the city there or how is that done? Yeah. So you have, it's like any conversion, right? So you have to go to the city for the permit on, on the okay. uh, triplex. So the fourplex is already listed as a fourplex, but yeah. they are using it as a duplex. But the other one is duplex to a triplex. Do you know how long it takes to get the permits down there and what an average conversion process looks like there? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. Because there's opportunity there if you can go in and out of like conversions in a month. Because as people probably know in Ontario, you're a single family triplex. It's like an eight month, nine month process. That's it. So the smaller the city is, you have access to the people more, right? Because since you know if you're getting a bigger portfolio and whatnot, so they already like, I talk to the city. It's basically, you can go and talk to the mayor, right? There's like, it's a very small community where everybody's open. And if you know you're coming in and you're making a change and they're full on for it, right? They're more excited more than you because you're bringing more revenue to the city. You're bringing, they look at it as a whole holistic view rather than you're making money. Yeah. Right. So that gives yeah. a different perspective. It's easy to work with. It's like any small mentality community, right? So they wanted yeah. to, so we're turning, we're planning to turn on within a, a month and a half. Yeah, that's incredible. It's true. Like mm-hmm. even in some of the smaller cities in um, Ontario, I think you have some of the same benefits. I have uh, two more questions before we, yeah. we quickly wrap up because we're about to run out of time. But the first question is what's like the projected ARV then on this after repair value? Like what would be projected after repair? Just for anyone that doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> so this one we are expecting. So we got from 1.6, the ARV we're looking for is uh, 2.65. To 2.7. Oh, ARV is super. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How much uh, renovations is needed to hit that ARV? So, this one, we are basically trying to, uh, the code that we have currently is around um, 280. That includes. That's um, not bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because the, the main reason is the conversion projects, right? Because the 15 unit, the nine unit, the nine unit used to be a, a old age home. And then we are converting it back to the, um, you know, because they don't have, everything is included right now, right? The heating. So that's that's the main biggest costing for us right now. It's kind of crazy how efficient they are. I think just like three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 a unit is what people want to spend versus here. Like we're so used to like, hey, let's go, let's do this. Like a paint job here now costs like fucking like $3,000 or something like that. Stupid. That's but, it. Um, <laughs> uh, they're, they're just extremely efficient, it seems like. And obviously there's lower costs as well. Now, the second question I had is, I could be wrong. This might just be the HRM in Nova Scotia, the Halifax region or whatever it's called, right? The HRM, yeah. Yeah. Is it like a double property tax or like a double? There's a tax, right? Like when when you're an out-of-province investor coming into Nova Scotia and you're buying up real estate, it's a pretty substantial tax. I thought that was like 5% or something. They had it, but they removed it. Oh, 
interesting. They, they didn't see they didn't see money coming in, and they 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 scare a lot of investors like out of yeah. pocket, and then they took it off. Five percent is nuts. <laughs> yeah, they saw people were like you know finding a local to buy the property, and then they were like having a JV, and they were like, hey, might as well just take it off, right? Yeah, yeah, because we bitch about our double that capital tax in Toronto, yeah, five percent of that. And to let you guys know, like I mean, this property is not in HRM. HRM has gone yeah. crazy. Yeah. Like you could buy a property in Montreal, not in HRM today. I'm yeah, still yeah. blown away by the fact that how it, it, it increased because I, I go there every year. The amount of population that moved in there and the amount of employers in the city and the amount of house price that you have, like the house price is cheaper in Hal- uh, Montreal than uh, Halifax, right? So yeah. you can find this in HRM. That's for sure. I, I, br- I briefly looked at HRM and I was like, I don't understand. Like, what, what am I doing wrong here? It's like the offer. But, but I remember even like 2019, I met an investor who was doing Nova Scotia at uh, Andrew Hines meetup back in the day. And he was like buying stuff in like the secondary markets for like dirt cheap. Like, he was selling me eight bucks and go for like two, three hundred grand. I was like, what the heck? Yeah. Sounds like a great strategy. It's just obviously there are risks and pros and cons and stuff like that. Yeah. Sorry, one last question before I ask you two wrap up questions. Uh, what's the LTB situation there? Is there an LTB? Can you raise rents at any time? What's the eviction process like? Quick summary there. The quick summary there is you have a, I would say, a monthly, you can give a month's notice and then you can rent a week. So that was our plan in the 15 units, right? And yeah. like, honestly, we never went through any of that process, but it's mostly, I think, when you compare to even New Brunswick, right? So you don't have a rent cap. So you can basically increase the rent. I think especially they took it in January out so that people can come in, do the rental yeah. and then... We have to get out, right? So we haven't been through any of the LTB issues, so I wouldn't be the best to answer. Gotcha. All right, man. So quick uh, wrap up two questions. The first is, where do you see your business going in five years? And the second is, and you can combine an answer if you want, but uh, the second is for newer investors in today's market, um, what do you see as a main risk that's kind of not discussed? Okay. For us as a business, I think I wanted to get into multifamily and then bring more vision for a secondary market so that you be that player and everybody knows you what you bring to the, the society, right? Instead of going to bigger cities and then being a small whale in a bigger pond, right? So that's the idea behind it. And then uh, the whole point is uh, cash flow, right? That's the whole point of uh, being investing in multifamily. The second one is for a new investor. I think just follow somebody that you want it to be, especially now there are so many strategies out there. There's Airbnb, multifamily, single family flips and whatnot. Find somebody who's doing exactly what you're doing and then follow them. And then, um, you know, whoever is starting, listen to Rice podcast right from the beginning because I was doing that. And I learned so much. This is the best answer we got in period. <laughs> and, and Jefferson Ortiz, don't forget Jeff. <laughs> no, seriously, like it's, uh, you have no idea how much impact you guys are making. Um, yeah, it's yeah. because of like, you know, when I started, I literally didn't know anything, right? So listening to every single conversation every time, it's a lot of takeaways. It's very intentional, right? So thank you. Thank you for doing that. And people do listen to right from the beginning. So you know, there are different types of stuff, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I know. Definitely do that. Set aside, what is it? Probably about 120, like 130 hours. hours now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Would love that. <laughs> but you know what? Um, it's amazing to hear people's stories like yours where you you haven't started off investing too long ago, but yet your mindset um, the way you go about things, the way that you take action has gotten you to the point that you are today. A lot of people would have probably given up and quit after they spent 15,000 
on that apartment deal that didn't go through, but you were consistent with it. And as a result, now you're buying that building today, right? We didn't get into it in this podcast, but you're also working on another even larger project than this one. I guess we'll have to chat about it next time. But um, we need to have you back on like uh, maybe like a mid-year sort of update where everything is with your project and to get into details on your on your 50 unit as well. This has been an awesome episode. If people want to follow you, connect with you, how could they best do so? Yeah, so uh, you can reach out to me on uh, Instagram. It's uh, Rice Investment. So and then my personal handle is uh, The Mava Man in Instagram. So feel free to send a DM. More than happy to jump on a call. Sharing is Awesome. All of it will be down in the show notes below. Bava, you're doing amazing things, man. And uh, if you guys enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend, leave us a five-star review. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.